The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co-host, Keith Campagna. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Googleization Nation. Uh, Keith, you and I need to figure out a, a name. I, 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 I'm wondering if uh, people who listen in are Googlers. Um, but that's going to get confused with people who work at Google. So we need to come up with uh, a name there. But uh, we want to thank everybody for joining joining us again on our quest to transform HR. Um, just I got a question. Have you ever transferred your business to a new vendor because the employee that always took care of you moved on? Better yet, has your company been acquired or merged? Or if you're the owner of a company, are you thinking of doing that? And the question that comes up is, how did you value your most important asset, people? Uh, management can probably tell you to the penny how much employees cost them, but don't seem to have a clue about how much value they bring other than hanging a bunch of posters and kind of stating people are our most important asset. Uh, when it, but it comes to kind of the financials or uh, just the value of the business, uh, it seems to be this um, kind of a, escapable, ethereal piece of the business, which is one of the most critical. So we're hopefully going to change that today. Uh, we've got a great guest with Dave Bookbinder, and he's going to introduce, introduce us to the new ROI, the return on individuals. And uh, Dave will join us shortly. Keith, you've known Dave for a while. You've been talking talking him up a bit, and uh, yeah, appreciate you bringing him on the show. Yeah, no, this is going to be a fun one for me I'm, and everybody, but I've been looking forward to this one for a while. You know, the with the amount of attention, Ira, that I've been putting on, uh, literally return on investment. Um, the last year when with everything with Jobvite, like I made some decisions, learned a lot about what I want to do when I grow up, right? And I'm having such a phenomenal time talking to serious movers and shakers about return on investment. And it fascinates me. Here we, you and I sit every week talking to these people in the middle of the HR uh, shift show, so to speak. Yep. And there's this unbelievable momentum that's building up in the shadows. And that is the true way to quantify the value of a person inside of an organization. And to your point earlier, I mean, how many companies exist that don't have an ERP system, right? How many companies don't have an automated payroll system? There's all of these concepts about building the value for all of these projects so you could you know, invest and get the approval from the CFO. And nobody has been spending time, at least historically speaking, on what is the value of an individual inside of an organization. And Dave, he knows exactly what's up. This is a guy who does not come from HR. You know how much I like it when people talk about HR that are not from HR. 
this guy is a finance valuator. He knows the ins and outs and what makes companies really worth something. And uh, I don't want to tell his story, but for those of you that are out there trying to figure out how to actually attract and retain, you might want to start with who you have. And there's a lot of cool ways you can figure out how to do it. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah it, it's amazing. And, and I'll share the story when we when we get there a little bit. But, uh, you know, many of the listeners know, some, some may not. You, you certainly do. Um, you know, my prior career, I had a dental practice, sold it uh, 25 years ago. Hard to believe. Been doing this uh, 50% longer than I actually, what I, what I was trained to do. Um, and but when I sold the practice, uh, you know, a big part of that was goodwill. I had a lot of systems in place. I had a huge we had one of the biggest practices in, in uh, Lancaster County, central Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, when I sold it, uh, you know, a lot of the value. I mean, I, I, there was a building. There was a lot of equipment. Everybody thought the equipment was the expensive part. And truly is when you sell it. Uh, I knew the relationships were with the people, and one of the key people was leaving, was me. But I knew there was a value on the systems I had in place. There was a value on the team that I had in place. They had been with me. Many of them had been with me from the start or almost the start. And um, But it was really, really hard to come up with the valuation for them. And, you know, we, we talked about it as goodwill. And the goodwill was with the patients and the, and the goodwill with the patients was assuming the patients would stay. But, you know, patients don't, especially in a dental practice where, where they have options to go. I mean, we weren't tied to any insurance plans. Uh, they can pick up and go. But as long as the staff was there, as long as the employees were there, the people would continue to come. Um, and but it was really hard to get anybody um, to even accept that principle in there. And, you know, everybody was counting charts and they were counting pens and paper and equipment and depreciation. Yet I knew that if they retained the, that if if my ex-partner didn't, um, you know, he kept the team in, in place, the people would stay. Um, we won't go into what he did wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> what, he, what he could have done differently. Yeah, but I actually I mean, just, you know, just from a value of that is 25 years later, I still get birthday cards. I get greetings. I'm still connected to 75 percent of the staff. I still am connected to people on Facebook and get inquiries and people find me on, on an article or something I read. And, I, you know, um, and, you know, I've still got some activity going on in in, um, in in Lancaster, but it had nothing to do with dentistry. But I'll run into people and they, you know, they remember. I mean, they, they remember stories I don't remember. I mean, they remember, right. you know, of, a, of an instance and some of them now have grandkids and they remember that, you know, bringing their own children. Uh, you know, how fearful they were. So, I mean, there's, you know, the bottom line is there's just a tremendous amount of the people. But, you know, going through that experience, um, you know, myself is I was thinking like you and Dave are thinking uh, is that there's a tremendous value on this. And I know that to be true, that people would have stuck around because it's happened to other people is when when something happens to the primary owner, uh, people stay if if you continue if, if, again if the relationship is more than with one person, but companies just don't seem to have a clue. It's incredible. The same companies will say that the only true differentiation they have in the entire industry mm -hmm. that they serve is their people. 
And they don't know how much it's worth. Yeah, I mean, the only thing we have is our people. The only thing we have is our service. And yet we're going to sell it and it shows up nowhere on there. So we're going to talk a lot about it, that. Um, and so before we get time. there, I've got a couple things. So one is we, we got to thank Zor.ai, um, again, for being a sponsor and Success Performance Solutions. Uh, help us be on the air every week. Um, and uh, please make sure you go to, to for everybody who's listening, go to GoogleizationNation.com. It's free. And uh, you'll get notices about our upcoming shows and guests and access to our past shows and a couple other bonuses I got planned. Um, you get, you'll, you'll also get some notices about discounts to the Recruiting in the Age of Googleization Learning Hub, invitations to some webinars, thinking about the Sundom live contests, uh, live streams, a whole bunch of stuff. And again, it's just free. It's kind of our, our, our newsletter uh, just to keep you up on things. Uh, and speaking of the Recruiting in the Age of Googleization Learning Hub, I made a small change. I had a bunch of requests. Uh, some, I, I had started it out as a 12-month subscription, and uh, everybody would have access to, to all 30 lessons that are in there now. And then I plan to add about 50 more, a lot of videos, live streams, interviews, uh, all about uh, improving the candidate experience, recruitment, talent acquisition. Um, but a few people just said, hey, you know, we, we'd like to start smaller than that. Uh, we'd like to just and, and we really like what you're saying about candidate experience. So I carved that part out. Uh, I just launched it the other day. And in fact, if you go to successperformancesolutions.com, that's successperformancesolutions.com, um, top button in the header, uh, just click on it and it'll take you there. It's now just the candidate experience. I'm offering that as a part, uh, just the candidate experience section. Uh, there are uh, 27 videos there now. By the end of the month, there'll probably be three more. Uh, it's approved for three SHRM professional development credits, too. So, um, and you've got 90 days to do it. So, hey, by um, the way, have we figured out, congratulations on all that stuff, dude. Um, yeah. But have we figured out how to help get those HR listeners credits for listening to the podcast? Yeah, we're going to put that in there. Um, you know, part of it is just the time. We got to take uh, each podcast and I got to load it into the learning hub. And then, um, you know, we got to gotta tell us all about it. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're getting there. It's just, right. it's just time, but, um, that's hopefully within the next few weeks, it will be there and we'll definitely be able to do that and offer it for Sherm credits. Um, what well, else? So oh, now, yeah. Most important thing I got, and uh, not most important, most important thing is getting Dave on the air, but <laughs> one more announcement. Uh, I didn't mention about uh, the book less than three weeks, February 4th. That's two weeks, uh, three weeks yesterday. Uh, my new book will be out uh, recruiting in the uh, age of Googleization edition 2.0. Actually, it's only two weeks. So uh, is a, a Googleization edition 2.0 uh, will be in the bookstores and Amazon, but I'm giving away first thousand copies for free. First come first serve. Uh, all you pay is shipping and handling, so you can go up and reserve your copy at join.googleizationnation.com. That's join.googleizationnation.com, and get a free copy of Recruiting in the Age of Googleization Edition 2.0. Um, we are live, too, so you can call, if you've got questions for Dave, myself, Keith, 561-623-9429. 561-623-9429. Now, let's get to our guest, Dave Bookbinder. He's a valuation expert, uh, best-selling author of the book, The New ROI, and he's a host of his own podcast, Behind the Numbers. Uh, Dave, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here, guys. Yeah, we, we got a lot to talk about. You heard you heard the intro. Uh, yeah, lot going stuff. on. Uh, huge gap. I mean, uh, just, you talk about the lack of metrics in in a business, uh, and you know, it's often you know HR is considered the soft stuff, but it's it's pretty hard numbers, hard and fast numbers when it comes to what's your business worth, <laughs> uh, uh, especially for for you know a publicly traded company, but even a private company that's looking to uh, sell. I know a lot of people looking to sell. And uh, they always put this somewhat intangible figure on the goodwill, um, but rarely do I see the employees figure it in that. So let's talk about that. Where, where do we start? Well, we can start from the beginning if you want to start about valuation and, and how people are thought about in terms of the overall construct of a business enterprise. Yeah, perfect. Perfect place. Yeah, yeah. So tell, tell, tell the audience, Dave, where you came from, because, uh, you know, it's conversations like these that executives tend to uh, kind of brush to the side, you know, and this is and you are not because they mostly because they feel it's like an HR fad, another HR fad. Right. Uh, but that's not the case with you. So the more the merrier with regards to how you got here. Thanks. Yeah. And, and that's a great way to start, actually. So thanks for that. Um, maybe set the frame by talking about my background and how the book came about, uh, because to your point, um, I'm, I'm told regularly by folks in the HR space that uh, what really resonates with them well, with regard to the message around the book is that I'm not a typical person who'd be talking about these kinds of things. I'm a finance person by background. Um, I've spent my entire career in corporate finance. I've got several professional designations in the field of business valuation and, and valuation of intangible assets. And over the course of my career, I've helped literally thousands of companies uh, with matters pertaining to valuation and valuing their businesses and their IP. Uh, one of the intellectual property assets or intangible assets that I valued throughout my career is human capital. And uh, I was take a little detour here for a second. I was a single dad for a long time and uh, wound up working for some bosses that were really great, understood what the challenges are being a single dad. And um, I will tell you that I was super engaged working for them. Uh, I'd walk through fire for them. When you talk about discretionary effort, there wasn't anything I wouldn't do for them. Also had the opportunity to work for some folks who were uh, not quite so nice, not quite so um, considerate, who might do an eye roll if I had to go pick up a sick kid at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, hey, it must be nice to, to leave the office at 3 o'clock when the rest of us are here not understanding at all what that meant or that I'd be back online after the kid went to bed and so forth. But um, when, when I think about how I, we value human capital in the valuation world and living it as an employee and as a human being, uh, it occurred to me at some point that the methodologies that we use, in my opinion, don't really tell the whole story. And um, I, I, I didn't really do much about it for quite some time. And then one day th from some inspiration from some colleagues decided I was going to write an article about how um, people really should be valued differently. And I need to be super careful because I didn't want to throw any stones at my profession and, and talk about, you know, we don't do it the right way and had to be careful not to throw stones at the accounting profession because people don't actually appear on a financial statement, uh, even though it's most people are considered the most valuable asset, right? Um, that's a whole other topic. Uh, anyway, I wrote this one article and the article got some traction and uh, it became a series, uh, then it became an online community, and then the book just sort of happened. It just it 
happened organically. I never sat down and said, I'm going to write a book about this stuff. But the book really documents my journey to understanding that people really are a company's most valuable asset, which was always my personal belief. And uh, the book is the story about how I was able to, um, dare I say, document um, certain data and other opinions on, on why that's actually the case empirically. So I've got a question for you, and this is something that I, I think, uh, candidly, Dave, I think I've been waiting until the podcast to ask you. I have it somewhere in the back of my head that there were laws written in the 60s or maybe 70s that says that a corporation, by legal definition, is not the individ- it's not the employer's. And it wound up becoming, I think it's legislation, and, and, and the, out, the outcome of that was that CEOs could run businesses unethically without having to worry about that, um, that you know, becoming a personal matter. And I don't know if that was the original intention, but um, it certainly took place. And, I, and ever since you and I started talking and, and you opened my eyes to this, I wonder if the reason why human capital was never a part of the financial capital reports or the valuations because it was never supposed to be there in the first place. Like, is that, am I round, like, am I trying to put a square peg in a round hole or is there something to that? You may be. I don't, I don't think it's as, as maybe nefarious as, as anything like that. Um, in fact, when I first entered my career in valuation, um, the assembled workforce did, in fact, appear on the balance sheet. Uh, it was subsequently removed, and human capital or the assembled workforce, if you will, gets subsumed into goodwill. That, that's where uh, the human capital winds up today. So it's not a specific line item. Um, I personally believe that people are the most valuable asset, and my hope is that at some point there will be a line item on the balance sheet that uh, speaks to human capital. And I, I happen to believe it, it's going to happen. So, so, Dave, I mean, you, you brought up goodwill. I mentioned that earlier. Um, you know, certainly in, in when I sold my business, um, that was a huge part of it. I mean, yeah. in, fact, in fact, that was a fraction of it. Because that, that's where the revenues came from. The revenues didn't come from the equipment sitting there. Um, so how is what you're doing different? Uh, you know, is it just an extension of, of um, placing a value on goodwill? Uh you know, or how, how have you extended that? Yeah, so let me explain um, how the assets wind up on a balance sheet. Um, and goodwill is, is a big part of a lot of transactions. Um, we're involved in valuing intangible assets most of the time after a business is acquired. So deals closed, we know what the purchase price is. Um, there may be value ascribed to, we'll call it the hard assets. And then whatever uh, is left over between the purchase price and the value of the hard assets goes into what we'll call an intangible asset bucket. So we value what's called the identifiable intangibles, and the usual suspects of of identifiable intangibles are things like customer relationships, trademarks and trade names, and uh, technology assets. And um, whatever is left over after the valuation of those identifiable intangibles winds up in goodwill. The, the way the assembled workforce is valued, uh, it's a methodology that's called a cost to replace method. And basically if for the folks in the HR community who are listening in, uh, they can probably relate to it because it, it looks largely like a turnover calculator. Um, and we calculate the value of the 
assembled workforce for one reason only. It's considered to be a contributory asset. And what that means is that, for example, the value of your customer relationship asset wouldn't be as valuable if you didn't have an assembled and trained workforce in place to service those customers. So we calculate the value of the workforce essentially to ascribe a rental charge against the value of the customer relationship asset. That's what happens. Um, I, I personally don't believe that captures the whole story. There are a lot of others who also share my view. Um, many of them are, are in the book. But uh, interestingly enough, um, several of my new ROI colleagues and I did a keynote webinar with an organization called BVR, Business Valuation Resources. And they invited us to bring this new ROI construct to the business valuation community. And they told us it was one of the most highly attended um, webinars that they've ever done, and the interaction with the audience was just phenomenal. So I think there's a, a growing consciousness about how we in, in our profession may actually start to think about human capital. So uh, there's there's a whole bunch of thoughts that I got running through my head. So one is, um, it, from a finance side, it seems that, a, yeah, it, this also seems uh, kind of anatoma to um, how HR thinks, because as soon as you attach a dollar value to an employee, everybody says, hey, we're not widgets, we're not equipment, you know, there's more to that. Um, so how, you know, is that something that you see going away? Or how, how does that argument? Uh, or how does that objection uh, from, you know, what many HR folks feel when you start talking about putting uh, people's value on a uh, P&L or on a, on a balance sheet? Yeah, that's a, a probably a deeper question than you may even realize because... No, I realize there, it's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there, there's so many layers to peel back there because um, right now with people not being on a financial statement as an asset, um, frankly, there, there's almost a perspective of who really cares. Um, what does it matter to put a real number on the workforce, right? What, what, what does that truly matter? My lens is, let's take it one step further and let's talk about the impact that people have on the value of a business enterprise. Uh, because then you can really start to understand what that impact is. And it's all, it all gets connected when you start to think about uh, happy workforces and more engaged workforce, and more engaged workforces and more productive workforce. Uh, greater productivity is going to re result in greater profitability, and that's ultimately going to impact your valuation, right? All the things equal. Those are the dots. That, that I'm trying to connect. And when, when you talk about what the, the future may hold in terms of how um, employees and, and the human capital asset, if you will, is, is considered, um, th there's certain movements afoot in terms of, we'll call them smart money investors who are social capital conscious, and they're, they're doing things like petitioning the SEC, for example, to uh, afford greater disclosures around the human capital investment. So just as a quick, for instance, um, as an investor, if you knew, for example, that management at a particular company uh, turned over, you know, at a 20% clip, would you still want to in invest in that particular business? You know, the leadership team turns over every five years, you may want to look elsewhere. So there's a whole host of other kinds of disclosures that the SEC has in front of them right now. And uh, when you combine those kinds of petitions with the smart money investors and folks like BlackRock who are talking about doing good for social uh, justice and employee relations and things like that, uh, there, there may be pressure enough to get people 
back on a financial statement as a disclosure item, as an item on the, finan- on the balance sheet. If that happens, then I think everything changes because then the perspective is this really is an asset and it's no longer just an expense. And then from there, I think you're going to see greater change. And just to chime in a little bit on this one, uh, and then we're going to, coming up on the break here, but um, you know, for those of you that are out there thinking that this is a bunch of finance uh, mumbo-jumbo, there's ISO 30414. This is an international standard that's basically requiring certain metrics as it relates to human capital. And Dave, you probably know more about this than I do, but the SEC is, as a matter of fact, drafting, if I understand it, they're drafting new regulations as it relates to the reporting elements so that you have to um, you have to report certain human capital metrics. And I think it's supposed to be mandatory by 2022. So this is this is stuff that's really happening. This isn't just some sort of idea that you need to maybe pay attention to. Yeah, there's definitely a groundswell. Uh, and it, it's not just me talking about it, obviously. There, there are a whole host of others. Uh, the way some of my new ROI collaborators describe it is that um, we're all climbing the same mountain. We're all just coming up different sides, but we all have the same goal. Yeah. And there, there, I, again, there's a couple things when we come back from break I, I definitely want to talk about, especially moving more to a digital world and AI. But one of the things just to kind of tease that out would be that, um, you know, you mentioned something about, uh, you know, valuing your business, but knowing that, uh, and again, workforces are still struggling, struggling to figure this out. Uh, you've got a workforce of, uh, you know, median age is uh, 53 years old. You're selling the business. Um, you know, what's the likelihood uh, of many of those people being around for five or 10 years? And, and how would that affect those relationships? Um, and again, that's not uncommon. Uh, there's many businesses that way. And, you know, that's, that's certainly one of the reasons that I, I, I've heard this said to me um, face to face. You know, I'm thinking to get out of my business because it's just going to be too hard to replace all these people. Yet they put a, a, a significant value on current day value with those people in place. But in three to four years, what's the value of that business when uh, three quarters or half of their workforce leaves? Uh, and that's what you're talking about, right? And that and a whole host of other things. What you're referring to there is basically the loss of institutional knowledge. And it's a subtle thing. But uh, even if you have a, a planned exit and an employee is transitioning out, and you do your best to capture all the mind share and document their day to day and, and hand off all their duties and, and relationships to clients and other um, company personnel, there's still things that, that they know, uh, real subtle things like their boss's proclivities and how the boss likes to receive information. Uh, who do you go to when you need a certain supply? Uh, you know, things like that. And it, there's, it's a subtle shift, but that institutional knowledge walks out the door and you don't get it back. And that definitely and just ra- the business. Yeah, and I just raised another question. We had a great guest last week, Charlene Lee. We talked about the disruption mindset. Um, and uh, so when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about how how, how AI may may accelerate this or, or disrupt it or change it. Um, also uh, about a lot of companies going through a transformation themselves. You know, that certainly affects the value of the people uh, and so much more. Hey, uh, you are listening to the Geek, Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We're with our guest, 
Dave Bookbinder, a valuation expert, author of the new ROI. A fascinating conversation. Uh, we're just, we're just uh, literally scratching the surface here. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions. So stay right where you are. We'll be back in two minutes. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. It's XOR.ai. Hi everyone, this is Ira Wolf, author of Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. I'm excited to announce that my online course, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter, is open for business. This course is the culmination of a two-year-long project and releases recruiting tips I've learned after hundreds of hours of research, speaking with thousands of conference attendees, and interviews with dozens of experts. It's all available to you in Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. To receive more information or get started, visit our website at www.successperformancesolutions.com and click on the tab, Recruitment Marketing for the Accidental Recruiter. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, with my co-host, Keith Compagna, and our guest today is Dave Bookbinder. Uh, we're talking about valuing the most important asset within a company, which is people. Uh, people we've been talking about it for decades, um, as long as I've been in this business and even before Yet, uh, we're fi- it finally seems that, uh, you know, with Dave's work and some of his colleagues, uh, we're starting to break the ice uh, on that. Uh, but I, there was something that's kind of Dave mentions it's at the top of his webpage. I read this. I actually put it out as a link earlier on uh, on LinkedIn to promote the show. And his statement is, the value of business is a function of how well the financial capital and the intellectual capital are managed by the human capital. I, I mean, I, I think that's pretty profound. Um, and then he closes with, "You'd better get the human capital part right." So let's talk about getting the human capital part right. Dave, you, you mentioned before, and I'm I'm fascinated this because again, there's so many studies that are out there. Uh, I was just doing, I was writing an article on motivation this morning, and you know, it's like, what's the What's the cost of low employee engagement? What's the cost of low motivation? What's the cost of turnover? There's millions of stats of what it costs to replace people, but it doesn't necessarily accurately put a value on the people that you have. Um, you know, it, it's it's no different than what's the value of my home? What's the value of my car? Um, uh, you know, when it's working versus if it burns down <laughs> to the ground. Um, so it seems like if I lose it, here's what I lose. But nobody seems to know if I keep it and I maintain it and I nurture it, what's it really worth? Um, and that's what you that's kind of the direction you're you and the industry is moving. Right. Well, I, I certainly hope so, because, as I mentioned, I think there are things that we can include in our calculations uh, to allow them to tell more of the story. So right now, like I said, the, the analogy for our methodology is, is somewhat like a, um, an HR 
turnover calculator, just the cost to replace. And uh, it doesn't consider any of the indirect costs. So I think at a minimum, and I talk about this in the book, that you can probably consider a lot of the indirect costs. But I think where the real fun um, gets into the, the conversation when you start factoring in things like an engagement or disengagement factor. Uh, because as you just alluded to, if you've got an engaged workforce, um, it, it's certainly going to be more productive. And that's where you're going to get the discretionary effort. And that's where you get the, uh, the real big impact on profitability. Um, it, it seems like um, engagement in the U.S. and frankly worldwide has been roughly around one-third, mm-hmm. right? So yep. the, the way I like to think about engagement and talk about engagement is I use like a lifeboat analogy. So uh, imagine your company is a lifeboat and um, you're, you're heading towards safety and you've got three people in the front who are fully engaged and they're rowing hard and trying to get to that destination. Uh, there may be four people in the middle who are just kind of kicking back, looking at the icebergs. And there's another three in the back of the boat who are trying to sink you. So if you can get more of those people rowing in the direction that you're trying to go, just imagine what the impact could be. For sure. And I think that's the direction that, you know, one of the things that you mentioned before, even on replacement costs, I mean, it, and I, I've, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not an advisor on this and, and, uh, and probably my weaker points is probably finance. Um, but um, from a strategic level, uh, I've had people say, how do you value your business or how can, you know, do you know anybody who does it or can you, you know, can, can you look at this? And one of the things that I ask, you know, often ask is, you know, what's the likelihood that after its transition and acquisition or a merger that the, the people that you that you sort of purchased with, you know, or part of the purchase are going to stay? Um, and then how do you place that value on there? And, and we, we sort of, you know, we've been talking about that. But on an everyday basis, um, it is this allows people to have a value on, indiv- on employees. And is it worth you know, if that person happens to leave because we don't offer them a 7% increase or we don't provide training to them, um, you know, how, how does that affect their value today? And has nothing to do with the merger or acquisition. It's just putting that value on. And again, companies are are really struggling with that. But one of the things that I've, I've brought this up oftentimes with AI is, is really getting more predictive. So... You know, it'll be interesting to see, and I, I don't think you have an answer for this, but I'd love your comment. It'll be interesting to see that going forward, that if I'm going to purchase your company, that I want to know what's the likelihood that the top performers, the top people, the key individuals um, are going to stay and how long, because that's where a lot of companies are moving with AI today is that they're able to predict that if they bring this employee in, you know, within 37 months, this person may get itchy and start to accept job offers. And one of the key points of of people being open to uh, accept a new job offer is exactly at the time either a manager changes or a merger or acquisition, which means... Don't think for a second, don't think for a second that recruiters aren't noticing that on, oh. on LinkedIn. Well, right? that was that was where, you know, we, we had interviewed him in that one company, uh, Engage Talent, that that's their business, is predicting when other people, <laughs> their AI predicts when other people leave, are going to leave, and the people using it aren't the internal people, it's the external people 
because they recognize that they map, um, you know, they track, hey, there's a, a management change over at that company. So everybody that's been there for three years or under is probably uh, has got a 75 percent chance of accepting our call now, where two weeks ago they wouldn't. And, and so, you know, throw that into the evaluation, uh, Dave, and um, it, it gets really, really interesting, um, you know, how AI is, is going to uh, may, may impact this or make it, you know, make valuation even more critical. Yeah, so there's a lot there. And I was trying to scribble some notes so I could at least address them. But when you, when you talked about um, the impact of you know, the key people on a merger or acquisition and then their potential subsequent departure, a couple of things came to my mind. Uh, one is, depending on where you get your data, anywhere between like 75 and 90% of M&A transactions don't actually produce the desired synergies. <laughs> and the number one reason for that over time has been, without question, the inability to integrate the human capital, bringing the, the two cultures together. So turnover risk is definitely huge, especially, like you said, in, in the um, event of a merger or acquisition. But here's the good news. Um, and we talk about this with one of my, my new ROI colleagues, uh, Dave Nast, who's got a tool that he uses to help actually use some predictive analytics to help to identify the rock star employees. And, and that can be defined literally based upon the company's criteria. They could literally pick out, well, you know, Fred Bloggs over here, he, he's an exemplary employee. We want everybody to, to look and behave like him. Um, there, there are tools that, that companies can utilize to literally what my friend Dave describes as mapping the corporate genome to, to replicate and identify who those key people are. And once you do that, there, there certainly are tools that can be used to incentivize people to stay. Um, you can incentivize them with ownership interest and things like that um, or you know, retention bonuses. But at the end of the day, you, you really have to make it in an environment where people want to be. Um, and that's, that's the key thing. Um, going on a little bit of a tangent here, if I might, I, I saw your LinkedIn post in promoting the show, and uh, one of uh, your audience members responded about, some of the uh, the cynicism around culture and referencing things like you know ping pong tables in the break room uh, don't drive culture, and I couldn't agree more. Um, the CEOs and other leaders that I've interviewed and just chatted with, anecdotally, who have done good things around building their business, all all have the same theme, and it's about a mission. And if you can get people to buy into the mission, uh, then you build their trust, you build their loyalty, and, and everything spirals upwards from there. I mean, just human nature. I mean, and, and again, doing a lot of work in, in this in this particular area, uh, especially with motivation and what drives people, and you know, what's going to drive engagement. I mean, people talk about leading with purpose, and but ultimately, people want a purpose. They they want to know that they're valuable, and whether it's that they're valued by their family, by their community, by their boss. Um, they they want to know that one is they're valued, and second is, is that they feel that they have a, a, a an important role. And uh, you know, there's a lot embedded in there, but it 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 all comes down to that. And uh, you know, companies just haven't been very good. I mean, going back to Frederick Taylor's uh, whole method of management, which unfortunately is still in place in many companies. Uh, you know, of, of and that's the danger, I guess, that we get into when we start putting values on a, a dollar value on people. People sort of say, "Well, I thought we got rid of that philosophy, you know, a thousand, a hundred years ago." And, um, it, it, but this is different. I mean, this is really using it in a much more positive way than than just putting a number on on somebody's head. 
Yeah, and, and what you said really should have a lot of resonance with everybody who's listening to this it, because it's so simple. At, at the end of the day, like you said, everybody wants to feel valued and appreciated. So for, for those who are in a leadership role that are listening, uh, when was the last time you, you thanked an employee for a job well done? A simple thank you. When was the last time you sat down with somebody and checked in with your team? Um, do you know the names of, of uh, the kids of your employees? I mean, it's all personal. Business is personal. And if you don't build that interpersonal relationship and, and people don't feel like they're valued and appreciated, uh, it, it's an uphill climb. And, and, and it's, you know, there's a, a couple models we use. I, I, you know, my core business has been assessments, um, you know, doing a lot with helping companies create a better candidate experience, uh, you know, which fits into what we were just talking about. Um, but I use a model, um, you know, I've mentioned this uh, before and, and Keith, uh, I've mentioned it to Keith. Um, I, well, it was one of my first books I wrote. It was Business Values and Motivators. And, you know, if, if, if all you know about your people, I know you, we can know about their personalities, behavior, and personality. I actually do know Dave, and, and Dave, I, I think, uses one of the assessments, uh, one of our competitors, but he uses one of our assessments. Uh, but the Business Value and Motivators gets get down to something real simple. People are motivated by learning. Um, by kind of what we call aesthetics, but it's kind of the, their environment, uh, work-life, you know, their, their, their kind of, what, what, what do they feel their role is, culture, art, uh, money, power, community, and or a, or a particular doctrine, something they believe in. So there's learning, aesthetics, uh, economics, um, uh, power, community, and doctrine. Um, if you knew that about your people, that's what motivates them. I mean, what what I personally value, what I want out of the job, maybe I need money, but I don't need money because I want to have the biggest house in the block. Maybe I need money because I'm worried about training, uh, about educating my kids. And that, that means I have a high learning profile. Or maybe it's because I just want to own them. I just want to own the biggest toys in the block. Or maybe I want to be, able, I want to be a philanthropist. What's in it for people? And, that, you know, that's ultimately what it is. It's what's in it for me. So there, there's a lot of ways to get there. Uh, and, you know, it's good that people are starting to at least pay attention because if you don't pay attention, then nobody cares. Exactly. And the part that freaks me out is that this is how people have been driving business revenues the entire time. It's like the mantra, and I know that I just sound like another person who's worked for a company who hasn't followed through on putting their people first, like the brochures say they do, but... Like it seems so obvious. And Dave, you know, you, you mentioned how you better get the human capital part right. Where do you see the value of human capital as it relates to or compares to intellectual capital and financial capital? Uh, I personally think it's, it's the most valuable asset. And unfortunately, right now, uh, the methodologies, like I alluded to, that we have to adhere to don't give us the ability to demonstrate that. But and that, that's my personal belief, and like you're saying, a lot of other folks do as well. And I, I know we're getting close to the end here. I think we are anyway, but I just want to make sure that I, I cover this one point because it's really worth sharing because we, we started about the, the journey of this new ROI book and, and the whole process. Um, it was really a quest to understand that what we all described as our intuitive belief on this matter really is the truth. And there's a whole host of data that's available if you go looking for it. Uh, that really clearly demonstrates in, in terms of the way uh, certain mutual funds have been put together from an investment style and, and others where it, it's so blatantly obvious that companies that are 
doing the right things around their workforce, making the investments in training, doing the right things around culture. You know, we'll call them the great places to work. They outperform their peers. And that's the reason for it. It's the people. Yeah. Is there, are there, is there an example of a company or two that you can mention that has, not that they value their company, not that they got great engagements or they won the best place to work, best place to work award. Say that three times fast. Um, but are, are there any good examples you can think of that people have done a good job of evaluation or any case studies that people can go to? Yeah, well, there's a number of case studies. Um, there's a couple in, in the book, um, and there's going to be more in what ultimately will be book number two. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'd rather not talk about any of the, the publicly traded companies. I think I'm precluded from you know, talking about right. those kinds of things. But what okay. I can tell you is that from the the CEOs that, that I've interviewed um, and we're talking about this culture shift, it starts with them becoming intentional. It's, it's not just, okay, we're going to tell people, hey, we're, we're going to do some new things here and, and we're going to value you. Uh, it takes time and it, get, it has to get baked into the DNA of the organization where people start to believe you. Um, one CEO who I mentioned in the book um, implemented a no a-hole policy. I don't want to say the word and get bleeped, yep. but we all know what that means. And the, the interesting thing is there, they enforce it. And they've created an environment there where the people truly understand and believe that leadership is all in on culture, that they are doing the right things. They demonstrate it every day in every possible way. And what the company has seen as a result of that directly is increased in sales, increased in profitability, decreases in absenteeism, uh, better safety records, every metric. They've won awards. It's just it, it's directly correlated, and they will tell you all day long it's a result of their intentional effort to reframe the way they run their business. And I think, and I think you, this is an indirect measurement, and it may, you may be doing it already. But it's not only put it, you know, valuing the people, but it is putting a value on the culture. If the culture is in place and it's not driven by one charismatic leader, which doesn't mean that's, you know, where it's not sustainable, but putting a value on the culture of the company um, would be huge as well. Uh, kind of a valuation. I don't know where that that's headed. Yeah, that's another good topic. But um, th there are some folks out there, some who I've collaborated with, uh, who are doing uh, the correlation of, of culture and value and uh, you know, aligning brand and culture and what that means and, and coming up with coefficients of engagement. And uh, my hope is at one point, uh, somewhere down the road, if people, when people are, are back on a financial statement, we'll be able to do some good correlation analysis and understand the impact of, you know, growth in key metrics inside the organization and growth in their equity values relative to their investment in people, and also capture that little nuance around the, uh, the engagement coefficient and bake that into some of the formulas that we use to not only value people, but to also value a business enterprise. Yeah. And I think, I think you brought up a good point. A, a lot of it right now is correlations. You know, the, the fact that, that, Hey, our value, our revenues went up and we have, and our, we had the highest score we ever had on engagement. 
Um, I, I think there's a lot of assumption in there and whether that's sustainable or not. You know, if, if the revenues dip a little bit, well, does it go down? And if you have a good culture, it should be sustainable throughout ups and downs. So, but we are almost out of time. So we, we definitely are going to have to have you back uh, for uh, one form or another. So many more things to, to talk about. And obviously, this is this is just the beginning of a long journey. So, uh, we'll yeah, be, be my pleasure. I'd be happy yeah. to come back. And I, I yeah. thank you so much for allowing me to join you today. How, how can um, share how people can get a hold of you? I've mentioned the book a couple of times, but uh, mention that where they can get that, how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, so a couple of things. Uh, th- there's a LinkedIn group. Uh, and there's also a small fake Facebook community for the new ROI, return on individuals. But uh, LinkedIn is a much more vibrant community. So for anybody listening that uh, is a LinkedIn member and wants to check out the new ROI LinkedIn group, I invite you to check that out. Um, I, as you mentioned at the beginning, I, I do host an Internet TV show and podcast called Behind the Numbers. You can find that anywhere where you get your podcasts. And if anybody wants to learn more about me, they can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Dave, we, we just met uh, less than an hour ago, and it's been fascinating. So I'm sure you and I will be doing a lot more talking. I know you, you talk frequently with uh, Keith. And uh, definitely a, a conversation to be continued. So thanks very much. Very enlightening. Yeah, yeah thanks, my pleasure. Bob. Look forward to doing it again. Keith, thank you Incredible. for introducing uh, Dave to the show yeah. and to our community yeah. and our listeners. Uh, again, just, just scratching the surface. Yeah, it really is. And, and, you know, I've been talking to you about this the whole time, right? It's amazing, this perfect storm, so to speak, of uh, talent marketplace (laughs) and the way that you can now prove that that you are a better company because of the value of people, not the cost. For sure. Uh, Again, so I've got like three pages of notes here and questions (laughs) and ideas. And uh, so we'll we'll continue this conversation for sure. Um, We're almost at the end of the show again. Uh, It just keeps going faster and faster. It's it's amazing. Next week. Uh, Yeah, next week. uh, Jason Averbook. So from LeapGen. um, Again, top guy. I mean, Jason's super good. And, um, you know, it'll, it'll be, again, fascinating. So be here next week. Uh, I want to thank everybody again for listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. Um, we really do value you. We know we have a lot of other places to, to listen and participate. So uh, don't forget to go to GoogleizationNation.com and sign up. You'll get notifications of our upcoming shows like next week's Jason Averbook. Uh, we got a full slate in, I think we're booked up through March. There might be one opening yet. And we got some very, very interesting people coming on board. Um, but uh, within Googleization Nation, you'll get notified about our, the live streams. Uh, didn't do one this week, but did five in the last <laughs> last week. Uh, uh, some webinars we're thinking about doing. Um, Keith and I are going to do one on ROI. Uh, live stream, and I, you, you got to give me the date. Um, looking at doing a couple contests and kind of juicing this up a bit. And remember to kind of order Recruiting in the Age of Googleization Edition 2.0, and you can get that at join.googleizationnation.com. Uh, Keith and I, we're always interested hearing from you. Uh, I know we don't hear a lot during the show, but we do get a lot of comments uh, LinkedIn, so keep them coming. We got a nice review this week as well. Uh, let us know how we're doing. If you want to be a guest or a sponsor, um, share that too. You can go up to uh, geekskeezersgoogleization.com. Uh, there's a form up there. You can contact us directly. Thanks again to Zor.ai, Success Performance Solutions. Uh, don't forget to join us next week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, W4CY.com. Or you can listen to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeart, 
or wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. Until next episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization, this is Ibra Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans. 